0: I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Psalm 45, where we'll read Psalm 45 in its entirety. It's a short Psalm. Uh, this morning at, at home, as Amy and I came early, and my sister was watching the kids, she said, Let's read together Psalm 45. And my, our middle son right away was like, How long is it? <laughs> and I was like, It's not that long, don't worry. But then I remembered, I said, Oh no, but Joshua, you do have to know something. It's a love song. And he's like, Oh, it's a. I said, it's unique because it actually is the only psalm that is not addressed to God. It is a love song, it's the celebration of a royal wedding. And all the praise that's spoken of is spoken to the bride and the groom. This is Psalm 45. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I will address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth. And meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in the gold of Orif. Hear, O oh daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In the palace of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. That's Psalm 45. In Psalm 42, we we saw the psalmist in in a posture of desperation, longing, as he said, thirsting and panting after God himself. And here we get a completely different uh, sort of spectrum of, of, of emotions where there's, there's an overflowing joy that's being expressed. This is a really good day. The, the psalmist has a soundtrack playing that's just encouraging him in the goodness of what is being experienced in life. That his heart overflows with a pleasing theme and he wants to write this song and he wants to have a tongue like a, a skilled person. He doesn't wanna just do this haphazardly. There is this desire to honor the occasion in such a way to create something beautiful to mark the beauty of what everybody else is experiencing. So this is a joyful love song. This is an anticipation of the goodness that's going to happen as a result of this marriage and how that will affect the nation and then the future generations as a result of this relationship that's being celebrated. And it is unique in all the Psalms where it is addressed to them as people entering into their earthly joy, if you will, and celebrating the goodness of what it is that they're experiencing. And so even in my own life, as I thought back on different occasions where that sense of joy and desire uh, and and eagerness and the goodness of God in relationship has been experienced. I went back now, so celebrating last week 20 years of serving within the local church uh, means we're about a year and a half until our 20th wedding anniversary. And uh, as Amy and I got to know each other, we were both living within about a 15 mile radius uh, of each other. I was in the Fairlawn area, she was in Wadsworth. And as we were just forming a friendship, uh, the missionary organization that she served at in Paraguay for two different periods of time, had asked her to to consider coming for two years to help them open a school. And we were both young and we weren't yet very far in a relationship and I did not feel like I should uh, intervene in that decision and ask her to stay and not go. And so uh, ultimately she ended up making the decision to go and make that two years of a commitment. I was 19 years old. And then when she made the decision to go, I thought, oh no, somebody I do care more and more about is about to be gone for two years. And so I took her out uh, before she left. We went to the Barnes and Noble uh, in Montrose. I worked there, I made the coffee there for a couple of years when it initially opened up. And so I took her out there and I determined that I would commit to her that I would wait for that two years, that I wouldn't pursue a relationship with anybody else And I'd kind of consider that my gift of singleness that Paul talks about in the New Testament and uh, not asking for anything in return, but just a desire to communicate in writing uh, while she was gone um, to stay in touch and to know what life was like for her down there and if she felt called to stay down there forever and whether she did or didn't, that I would want to come and visit at some point in time. Well, a year later, I flew down. I proposed, she said yes, she stayed for one more year And then finally now she was coming home at the end of that two years. And so then the question came, who gets to pick her up from the airport? Her mom and dad really wanted to pick her up from the airport. Their daughter had been gone for two years, and she's coming home. But they knew I really wanted to pick her up from the airport as well. And so graciously, they were kind enough to let me be the one to go and pick her up from the airport. And uh, as then that was coming forward and as I was anticipating that, I thought, Okay, I'm going to pick her up. What are, we going to, what are we going to do right after? Where are we going to go? Am I going to take her straight back to her parents' house, or are we going to go anywhere else? And so then the thought came to me uh, fairly last minute, but we should go back to the place that we sat at a table where I told her I would wait for her for two years. I don't think of Barnes & Noble as a very romantic place to take somebody, so please know that I can acknowledge that. But now that we were at the end of that two years... Then that was the thought that came to my mind. Let's come back to this place. And then I also thought I would love it if like a song would play when we walk in. Now this is before Spotify, before Apple Music. I hadn't worked there for a couple of years. So I I went there ahead of time right before the airport and there was a manager named Jason who was still working there from when I was there. I was like, Jason, I'm about to go pick up my fiance. I think I can be back in like 40 some minutes can you find a CD with this song on? It feels like home to me. And keep an eye, and when we come in, just hit the song and have it just play in the whole thing. And he's like, okay, yeah, I can. And so he waited and stood on the second floor where the glass overlooks the entryway. And as soon as he came in, he signaled to somebody in the music section, and they hit the play button, and the song came on. It was so much fun to plan that and that it all came together, that somebody was actually working there that I knew that could enter into that joy with me. But that's part of the emotion of this psalm. God gives some really good gifts that we are to celebrate and to think of ways to creatively celebrate them. And so this uh, psalmist, he's overflowing with this theme, even though he is not the one who's partaking in the actual joy. He's not the king writing to himself. So he's seeing something happening in somebody else's life, but he's entering into that joy and saying, the Bible does say there's a time to weep, but there's also a time to dance. There is a time to mourn, but there's a time to celebrate. So Psalm 45 is this Psalm saying, now is the time to dance. Now is the time to celebrate. Now is the time to rejoice because something great is happening. And this joyful love song is, Written because there's a glorious royal wedding that's about to take place. And the rest of the psalm breaks down by sort of words directly to the groom, to the king, and then acknowledging the glory and the majesty. Uh, it says in verse 4 of the king, In majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. And then it describes her and all of her beauty and says forsake your father and your family which gives us an indication that this is possibly uh, an Israeli king talking about a non-Israeli queen and when commentators look and say who is this possibly writing about this isn't about David and so there's some debate and discussion. There's an example in the Bible of the king of Israel, Ahab, who was married to somebody who wasn't from Israel, but that wasn't really a wedding that everybody later would celebrate afterwards, that it was good for the future of the nation. Or maybe it doesn't mean that she comes from a different background, but part of marriage for everybody is this aspect of leaving your former life and cleaving to your spouse and creating a new family. So it doesn't automatically mean somebody from another nation, but it's hard for us to know with certainty and looking back on history exactly who this is. But it's celebrating this joy that's retold in many types of stories outside of scripture even, in just common love stories. That being married to the king eventually then includes all of the glory and the pomp and the circumstance of now being in the leadership Of a nation. And so rather than a a small and private ceremony for a commoner, this is a a public and a royal and a glorious celebration that the whole nation is supposed to participate in and future generations are supposed to participate in. And we continue to celebrate God's good gifts uh, all the way to today that He has made us creatures who long for relationship and we celebrate love as this reality that none of us can deny but also none of us can see in the same way like we can see one another and so when some people say to me well I don't believe in God because I can't see him one of my retorts is often do you believe in love do you believe that's a real thing Do you see it like you see another person or like you see nature outside? No, it's this intangible thing that you can't see in the same way, but you cannot possibly deny as a human being the profound capacity that we have to love, to care about things deeply, for them to matter in such a way that we want to celebrate them in whatever ways we can. And so I said this psalm is not Addressed to God but as I said that and as we then started to read through it there should have been parts of it that maybe caused you to uh, like a speed bump say wait a minute what about that who, who's that talking about uh, like verse 6 your throne O God is forever and ever the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness so wait a minute who are we talking about there Are we still talking about the king and talking about the king as God? That was pretty common among all of Israel's neighbors that the Egyptians thought of whoever the leader of the nation was as also partially divine. Eventually, Rome would think of the leader of the empire as also divine. But the Hebrew scriptures, everywhere else, are clear the king is not divine. The king is not divine. There is one God who made us all, and he has servants, and he has servants who are prophets, and servants who are priests, and servants who are kings, but they did not think of their king as God. And this becomes eventually part of what uh, the New Testament authors wrestle with in saying, I know this was celebrating a, a royal wedding sometime in Israel's history, but there is also language here that seems to point us forward to to something even better, to something even greater that's happening in the moment. And sure enough, that's how the author of Hebrews uh, reflects on this passage. So if you take your Bible to Hebrews chapter one, we'll see how a New Testament author takes Psalm 45 along with several other passages in describing the absolute uniqueness Of the king who was the son of David, known as Jesus the Christ. We'll just pick it up in verse 1 and uh, lead into the quote of Psalm 45. But it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And again, when he brings the firstborn in the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes angels winds and his ministers of flames of fire. But of the son, he says, Psalm 45, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And that's where we'll pause. But here's the author of Hebrews saying that this Psalm 45, whoever was, it was talking about in the past and whatever it was celebrating in time, it was looking forward to the Messiah who would come, who is the only one we could ever appropriately use this kind of language with um, I actually uh, in the course of the week I had mentioned to Cindy I was like I would love to hear what some of your colleagues at the Cantor's Assembly uh, think about uh, Psalm 45 and, and, and any commentary that they might have on it and in, in a full week there wasn't an opportunity for her to ask any of them as, as Jewish clergy uh, directly the question but she said you know I do have a Jewish study Bible that I've gotten and if you want to go into the office and grab it Uh, please feel free. And I said, okay, that was, yes, I'd love to. So I went and I grabbed it just yesterday uh, as I was here right before the funeral. And in these notes uh, about Psalm 45 in this Jewish study Bible, it it says these words, medieval commentators read the Psalm about David or about the Messiah and see especially verses seven and eight, which suggest that the king's throne is divine and everlasting. In the Christian community, this was typically read Christologically. And then it goes on to talk about the words used in the psalm as splendor and glory. And it says, splendor and glory are elsewhere divine attributes. This raises the possibility that the king is here viewed as divine. If this is taken literally, this psalm would be unique in the entire Bible in explicitly depicting the king as divine. And then it's comment on verse 18, that it is a remarkable conclusion where the king is praised in language typically reserved for God alone. Wow, this is incredibly insightful that this psalm uniquely points, if taken literally, to a king who would be divine we get even from the Apostle Paul in in Ephesians when he's not wrestling with Psalm 45, but he's actually in Ephesians 5 talking about marriage, that uh, something similar happens to him where this Psalm 45, uh, it's a joyful love song, but it's also an undeniable gospel melody. So in every song, there's different parts of the song. And the melody is the main part of the song. And there might be harmony around it and instrumentation around it. But even in Psalm 45, you can already see that flowing through it is not the king and queen present that it's currently addressing, but the future reality of a promised king who would be divine. We get the same uh, sort of trajectory in Ephesians chapter five when Paul talks about marriage there. And so if you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians five, this is where we're going to end. Paul is celebrating the goodness of marriage, much like Psalm 45. uses a lot of the same words in describing wives and husbands. But then he ends up at the same place Psalm 45 does. Ephesians 5, verse 22, it says, "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, "'for the husband is the head of the wife, "'even as Christ is the head of the church, "'his body, and is himself its Savior. "'Now as the church submits to Christ, "'so also wives should submit in everything "'to their husbands.'" He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here's the Apostle Paul in describing the goodness of what God has created in marriage and celebrating it. Also immediately saying that that goodness points us to a greater reality, which is that God is the one who loves us the most. He is the one who has made a vow to each and every one of us that he will never break. He is the one who will be faithful in every generation to us and everything that was necessary to preserve that union and to keep us in him, he has been willing to do. And that's true about every other good gift God has given us in this world. We are to celebrate it. We're to have joy in the things that God has given us. But those joys are supposed to point us to a greater joy, which is ultimately God himself that he is the one who loves us the most he's the one who created us this way and therefore he's the one who's promised us that whatever joys we don't experience he has greater pleasures for us he will fulfill in eternity all that he has promised to accomplish and that's why Psalm 45 ends uh, thinking towards the future and saying in, in place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth, and I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. That is the greatest love story. God's love for us. His promise to keep his word, that he will not leave us or forsake us, and that what he has begun in us, he will complete. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the, the joy that it invites us to celebrate. That you have made us as man and woman, you have given us the gift of capacities in our hearts and in our souls to care and love deeply. And you've given us things to enjoy here and now. In spite of a broken world, in spite of so much that is difficult around us, there are days that we can have a song in our heart where we can be overflowing with joy, a desire to celebrate with friends and family, a desire to try new things and imagine and dream new dreams. We thank you for that. But we thank you also that uh, you ultimately keep every promise you make to us, that you fill us with a love and a hope that no one can take away from us. And we pray that you would help us as your children to live in that that joy, that in spite of challenges and difficulties, that we would be ready to give to the world the reason for the hope that is within us because of your great love that anchors us, that secures us, and that inspires us into the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.